Welcome back to Footwork, a podcast for those who dream big, never settle, and make their own path. I'm Sean. And I'm Dylan. Together with guests, we share stories and tips every Monday to educate, inspire, and create a community built of soccer players and dream chasers. Footwork is brought to you by... The Talent Project is America's bridge to Europe for the elite few, providing opportunities for young American players that they can't get in the United States. We're looking for a few good men. Visit us at www.talentproject.com and see if you qualify. Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. Right, familiar face joins us back here. Footwork, and uh, it's it's a great time to talk about the World Cup. It's on everyone's minds, especially how it ended with Messi and everything. But today, we kind of want to focus more on the U.S. men's national team. So we have someone who's been so important in this quest to bring U.S. players over to Europe. So we kind of wanted to bring it all together. So, Mark Dillon, thanks for coming back. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, guys. Absolutely. So first off, a little icebreaker question. What grade are you giving the USA for this World Cup? Well, I think when you consider the context of the U.S. team, it was a very, very young team. And we had a lot of players that were coming off of uh, longer-term injuries, so the fitness levels were always in question. I think that Burhalter really put a good system in place. Uh, I think the guys, in some respects, overachieved. But we made everybody work really hard, and uh, we played some very good teams. And uh, overall, I'd say that it was a very, very, uh, very solid performance for the guys, and it, it bodes well for 2026. So letter? What, what letter are we giving it? What letter? <laughs> letter grade, yeah, come on. The U.S. I system. It B plus. B plus, okay, yeah. So, so a, a solid World Cup, you think, they, yeah. you think they, over, they overperformed a little bit in terms of what they accomplished? I, I think relative to uh, to the team's age, uh, relative to the fact that a lot of these guys, I mean, the, the number of minutes that, that these guys have played over the last yeah. six or seven weeks, even in key positions where it was, you know, that's, it's very difficult to play. You know, these teams at the World Cup level are so fit. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you get a guy that's, that's had, uh, you know, maybe 120 minutes over the last, you know, six or seven weeks because they've been nursing injuries, coming in as a sub, coming out, um, coming out early from matches and stuff. That's really, really hard to reach that level of of super fitness. So uh, they played really well. It was very clear that um, we had problems in the second half. Um, I think there's some arguments that we had really nine international class players and then the drop-off was fairly substantial. And, and even in those players, who, uh, like we, uh, like Pulisic, like uh, McKinney, for example, who have come off longer-term injuries, that that was a tremendous performance. And I and I want to pre- uh, kind of uh, preface all that by acknowledging the fact that every single one of the guys in the U.S. team were playing their hearts out. And yeah. there's nobody that that was uh, um, skiving or... or uh, uh, putting in half efforts. These guys wanted to play well. They wanted to do well. And I give them all credit. Yeah, well, to me too, what I was impressed with the most is like you said, they our bigger names have not played. Um, they have not gotten many minutes by their clubs recently. But as as a team, it was good to see that they didn't play scared. You know, they were going out and dominating the game, pressing high, possessing the ball. 
trying to control the game, which we've never seen from the U.S. up until this point. It's always it's always been, at least in my lifetime, like, let's try and survive the game. And it's usually like you just sit back, counterattack. We had a few good players. But this time, there were usually in the first half, there were phases of the game where they completely dominated or controlled the game, which is nice to see for a change. And because the team's so young, I'm excited for the World Cup when it's in the U.S. in 2026. Oh, yeah. Players just keep getting better and better. And, uh, you know, in past World Cup, you see, we, we, we had trouble holding on to the ball. So we're constantly chasing, constantly trying to win it back. You know, now we made the other guys chase us. And uh, that was against good teams, too, even right. against, against the Netherlands, you know, that we were making them work really hard to try to get the ball off us. And, you know, that midfield uh, that we had was really difficult to penetrate. And uh, I give a lot of credit also to the two center backs, or actually three center backs that we used throughout the tournament. But they played an outstanding match, except for, you know, obviously we had a kind of a, a, a momentary lapse of reason against Wales that cost us two points. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah, that was, comes. I thought the guys did great. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Like I think, like both of you guys said, it's it's nice to see the game develop. It's certainly from Sean and I's lifetime. I guess for you, Mark, who's I mean, you've been around, you've seen the U.S. game grow, you've seen the players grow, and I think one of those things we talked about, we talked about the episode with you, just one of the the key differences. Because the talent is always the same no matter where you go. We highlighted that, and you highlighted that very well. One of the things we talked about was this game decisions and game awarenesses. So in this World Cup and just, I guess, some of these players that play at big teams and play at big clubs and, you know, are getting world recognition, how did you see kind of that gap close a little bit in terms of where it's been and where it, it needs to be to be that world power along with, the Netherlands, with the Brazils, with the Argentinas, with the Englands? Well, this is a process that, that plays out over years, not, not weeks or months. And, you know, you see these guys that are playing for the really the, the top, top teams. And they're, you know, it's a jungle fight every single day, whether it's a training or whether it's the match on Saturday where three points are at stake. And when you're in that that sort of level of intensity, you kind of, you kind of, you kind of get to a point where that's the standard, that's the standard of performance that you need to come out with every single time. And this is what's been lacking for the American players. You know, we don't have, uh, we, we, we don't have that uh, yet. It's coming. I think it's coming. And there's a lot of investment going on in the United States right now. And there's, there's every reason to be optimistic. Um, but you, a lot of our players have come out of killer teams, for example, where you know, okay, yeah, we got all the best players in the region, and they're 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 wiping the floor with everybody else, so they're winning five six nothing. That doesn't do well for player development because nobody is having to play at maximum intensity week after week, day after day, and week after week, month after month, and that's that's what's really been lacking. Uh, we, we have some smart people in America that are working on this, and again, as I, I, I mentioned, there's a lot of uh, investment going into developing our coaches, developing infrastructure, uh, creating better competitive environments, but it's still going to take a little time before we can actually get to something that's comparable to Europe where every day matters and nobody has a chance to let's, you can't have an off day. The only easy day was yesterday. And, uh, and so um, that, that's kind of the attitude that our players need to have in order to, to really see them get to the highest level. What are some solutions to that? Because like you said, it's 
it's broken up a lot in the U.S. to regions. So you don't wind up playing the best teams in the country. You only play them at showcases or, or tournaments. And that's what, a few times a year. And the rest of the year, like you said, they're the best teams are wiping the, wiping the floor with, with all the other teams. Well, I mean, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, a lot of this thing is, is, you know, the problems are somewhat regional. You know, if you got a, if you've got, you know, if you're pouring all your money into the elite of the elite, then we're missing out on, on the grassroots or the the mid-level teams, which also kind of, you know, they say the rising tide floats all boats. Um, it's very, very important that we develop the the average player because they, the the real quality, the real benchmark for the the level of a soccer nation is the level of the average player. And when you can bring the level of the average player up to a higher a higher standard, that is in turn pushing the elite players up to an even higher level. But you have it, it, you have in the United States, you have situations where, in order to get a good game for a youth team, they have to get on an airplane. Now that that makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, and so if if that means that the closest real competitive match is four hundred miles away, and you're not going to spend three days bussing back and forth, then you're going to have to get on an airplane to do that. And and it, it, sooner or later, you're going to run into financial fatigue, travel fatigue. Whereas you have in, in a European situation like where I'm at in in southern Germany here you could have 15 games within an hour or if you're in the Rhineland, you can have 50 games within an yeah, hour's drift. Yeah. you know, and you guys are up, up in the North and I know you got a very competitive environment up there as well. And you need that sort of thing. You need that sort of rivalry. You need these sort of day in and day out high level competition uh, matches and training sessions in order to to reach that level. And we can't replicate that in the United States yet. Footwork.club, the official website for all things footwork is now live. Check out all footwork podcast content, including episodes, guest features, and YouTube videos. The Press, a section with written articles, interviews, and blogs from ourselves and guests. Game Time, updates about our season in Germany and what's going on behind the microphone. Want to go pro? Dedicated to helping soccer players follow their dreams with helpful info and our consultation sign-up. That's a free video call with us to connect and ask anything. And of course, the Footwork Shop. We got some of the best merch around as well as free PDF templates like a CV builder and much more. So join the club at footwork.club. Yeah, and and to take it even past youth into the professional ranks, we all know MLS is growing. We're not trying to, to be here to rag on the MLS and everything, but the reality of it is that many games don't matter so much in comparison to p- players who are playing in Europe or even South America. You can say MLS is a better league than, say, some of these leagues in South America or it's getting it's up there with Big MX and everything. But the reality of it is if you don't make it into the playoffs, you're never playing in games that are like that important to a club. Like you'll never know the feeling of if you're losing this and going towards relegation that all the pressure is on and everything these must win games which is kind of the same philosophy in these big tournaments so it's i mean obviously there's no quick fix there either but it just seems like one of those areas too where if our domestic league isn't producing of course there's talent there's great teams great players but they're not producing those must win games enough for the players then really the only option is to keep continuing to go to to Europe. 
Well, Europe is the pathway. There's 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 no question about that. And I, I think if you, if you look at all of our look at our national team, with the exception of one starter, they're all in Europe. And yeah. I think to a man, if you ask the question, there would be a very definitive answer of yeah, you got to get to Europe. You guys know yourself, you know, you you guys ventured off and you did your college thing and then off you go. And then you you find that the environment is entirely different and it's going to develop you and, and bring your your understanding of the match to a much higher level, much quicker. This is the conversation I have uh, a lot of times with with uh with parents and or with sometimes with players and they say well you know maybe i'll wait until i'll wait until you know i i want to get through the junior prom or i want to get through uh you know i we've got a nice team and we're going for the championship in the high school some of this you know you're losing time and time is something that they you can't get back it's irreplaceable and yeah. uh, and particularly for young players, and, and this is where this is where the talent project comes in because you know we're we're basically our our mission is focused on getting players into the European system as early as possible because that makes all the difference. That early time, that that you know that time where you know these guys are playing high school ball, they're playing you know the, whatever they're playing over there in in, in the United States. These guys are playing Bayern Munich. They're playing uh, Leipzig. They're playing Salzburg. They're playing, you know, really, really top games on a weekly level. And this is time that is absolutely essential. And if you don't, if you lose that time trying to backfill and get it back, it's it's really difficult. What have you seen um, as the as the players come over younger and younger with the talent project? What do you see is the biggest development they they or biggest areas they develop in in those crucial years? Their thought process increases enormously, you know, and in, in, uh, you can get by at, at a modicum, at a modest level, you know, with really good technique. You got sometimes you got really good athletes and we have good athletes and we have guys that are technically really good. But as and I'm sure you guys have learned yourself as you start to absorb into the, the, the German environment there, it's no longer just about technique because everybody's got good technique. It's no longer about speed because everybody's fast. It's no longer about athleticism because these are all really, really good athletes. But now you're getting into the cognitive elements of the game. It's about um, when to react to the triggers, with the re reading the visual cues, understanding pattern recognitions. These are all things that that take time and you can't get it overnight. It's a process that takes months and sometimes even years to assimilate. And that's where we see their players making the biggest biggest jump takes generally with the what we've seen in you know our short life now we're in our fourth generation uh we generally see about three to four months of continual training day in and day out twice a day then you start to see a real um a, a real shift in their uh their body language their decision making their posture uh how they're moving where they're moving when they're moving and this is all part of professional development that is absolutely essential. And this is what separates amateurs from pros. Yeah, that makes sense, 100%. So I kind of wanted to bring in just one of the another, another thing that's been, I guess, a lot on a lot of people's mouths and also on their fingertips on Twitter was this whole Gio Reyna situation as someone who's been around the game and been in coaching. I just want to know your thoughts in terms of, one, if this is true, would you ever tell a player before a tournament that or before games or before a season that you don't see them getting much time? 
that was one of the parts that came out. And two, how do you feel like, I guess, in terms of this information coming out, how it was handled, how do you think it should have been handled and maybe what would you have done differently? You know, that's an excellent question. It's really hard for me to answer because I don't really know the conjecture. I don't know the whole story. I read, uh, uh, you know, I read the snippets coming back and forth, both from, you know, Raina himself, I think, handled it reasonably well. His agent, I don't think so much. And her halter bringing that up in a public forum, I have a question about. Um, and I think everybody's knee-jerk reaction about why the heck isn't Gio Reyna playing? I mean, he's a player that's doing exceptionally well at a Bundesliga level and at Champions League level. You know, why wouldn't he be on the field? And I think that... You know, from Burhalter's standpoint, part of the success of the U.S. team was the the spirit within the group, and they're all fighting like hell for each other. And I I can understand why if you see if you get one guy, if it's true, that was playing for himself, or is being divisive, or he's kind of sucking the air out of the room uh, from the rest of the players, then it might be saying, "Let's we just, we can't you know we we can't afford to disrupt this." This, this team spirit and continuity. So there there could be some truth to that. Uh, and, and I don't know. I don't know the context, but how I would have handled it, I think, I don't know that I would have done anything different than, than Berghalter would have done if the facts are the way they have been reported. We have a player that's divisive and not supporting the other players on the team. And it's not necessarily my opinion because one of the things I think that was really, uh, that we could kind of read into the national team camp and to their uh, environment there was that it was very much a player-led system. Mm-hmm. And so the players had the opportunity to speak out. And if you have players that are, are calling out a teammate for lack of effort or lack of uh, ha- of having the proper attitude, then the coach is, you know, he's just sitting back there and watching. So I'm going to have to do something about this. So that's a, it's a, it's a hard call. Uh, I, I don't think Gino, uh, I think he's an excellent player. I, I wanted to see more of him on the field, but at the same time, he didn't really take his opportunity when he did get it. And he mm-hmm. got, you know, he got uh, 45 minutes there against the Netherlands and I don't really didn't see him making a big impact on the match. And that was a chance for him to really step up and say, okay, we got to get this game back and let's, let's, let's do something that's, that's, uh, that's going to contribute to making that happen. I guess it also speaks just to the the system in, in which that we have players who are very good coming off the bench or should be borderline starters or, you know, play for these big clubs and still don't make the lineup. I think that speaks to, okay, wow, we do have really good players. So there should, I mean, every big club has these decisions that they have to make for, like they have these, these difficult starting decisions. And I'm sure in their press, you know, why isn't this player playing? Why isn't this player playing? I guess it speaks to us as well that the the, the team is growing in all areas in terms of there are debates on who should be starting like that. Yeah, that's, I mean, listen, for, for, for starters, we have to understand that Burhalter is not making these decisions unilaterally. He's the, he's the mouthpiece. <clears throat> he's got a staff of guys that are working there and they're sitting around talking and they're, they're all exchanging opinions. And so everyone's got an opinion and he's probably talking to the senior players on the team also and coming up with, uh, uh, you know, what is our best chance for this match? 
Uh, there were players there. I was a little bit surprised Joe Scally didn't get get in. Same, uh, yeah, yeah. same. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that's playing at a, at a top level, and he's a, still a young player, and yeah. he can play left and right. And you know, he could have come in when he started to see Dest start to to uh, to struggle a little bit because he's been off off of uh, an injury. Uh, he, he started to see Will Robinson, who just went completely to sleep on the Netherlands' third goal. Maybe he was getting a little bit fatigued as well. Uh, Aronson, you know, when I watch um, Leeds United, I'm thinking, God, this guy has got to be in our first eleven in, at the World Cup. And you know, he's yeah. playing well, and he is so good at triggering the press. He, yeah. He's intelligent. And you, you think that particularly with a, the sort of pressing game that the United States is playing, how can you have a guy like that playing a, a secondary role? But, you know, on the other hand, the, the midfielders were outstanding. Yeah. yeah. So that's no, a great point. Yeah. So it's it's you know, it's always a, a, the <laughs> the coach of any national team is subject to second guessing from from all corners. And so he's the guy that's in the hot seat and he's got his staff around him and he's, he's got to make decisions and any decision he makes, probably half the people are going to disagree with anyway. So. And what is something, I don't know if you teach this at the talent project or it's something they have to learn uh, throughout the process, but a player like Gio Reyna or Aronson who are at the playing at the top level, but they still can't get into the lineup, but they do get their chance and they did get their chance. How a player needs to, react to sitting on the bench one and be ready for when they come on the field and be able to prove not in a way they're trying to do too much to prove they should be in the field, but just doing what they can do. And the reason they're coming on the field in the first place. Now it seems sometimes like Gio Reyna, we spoke off camera, he was trying to do too much. And then at every turn, he plays poorly or he plays differently than, than the reasons he's in the, in, in the roster. Well, I mean, this gets down to performance consistency and that that's related to professionalism. You know, when they are playing at a at a consistent professional level and going get going onto the field is is a continuation of what happened last week and the week before and the week before. This is a standard of performance. And um and it's hard. I mean, the, the team spirit is often made up by the guys on the bench. And uh the guys on the bench, if you look at Argentina, if you look at the Netherlands, you look at England, you look at Spain, uh, you look at France, every single player that's in a shirt is top level and they're starting for their, they wouldn't be in the national team if they weren't starters and key players on major teams. And so they're, and they're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 on that roster. And so it's not, it's, it's not a situation that's necessarily unique to the United States. It's happening everywhere. And that's the hard part about being a national coach. Mm-hmm. That's why you're yeah. best. Yeah, and there was there was another area which got a lot of debate and talk about. I guess and it always came back to our development system too. Was we kind of lacked this number nine, this true number nine that could help finish these away. How do you see that in terms of you know this World Cup and this reflection of I guess the U.S. system growing a player that could serve that role? Well, I thought we maybe we could get Harry Kane a uh, U.S. passport, but uh... <laughs> if he keeps wanting to play American football one day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even talk about that. Eric Kane and the NFL, great. Uh, <laughs> you know, 
you, you go to any club in the world and you say, well, I, I, what, what player do you need? Well, I need a guy that I need a number nine that can score 20 goals. Yeah. 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 yeah I, you know, um, you know, sometimes it's a generational thing. You know, I remember a few years back in the Bundesliga, there wasn't a single left back, natural footed left back in the entire first Bundesliga. And it's all guys that were converted from the right side. And you see it, you, you, we're watching Munich, we're watching, we're watching Gladbach, we're watching Schalke and Dortmund and all these teams. And you always had these, these uh, left-sided guys coming out of the back, but bringing the ball off to their right foot before they play the ball in. And so, you know, maybe it's just a shortage, but, you know, I, I think that developing a number nine is, um, is really critical for us. I expected a little bit more out of Josh Sargent, but, you know, he's only 22. Mm -hmm. and he's still got a lot of time development. Ferreira has planned at FC Dallas. So, you know, that pretty much says it all um, that he's a talent. And uh, I was a little bit surprised that Jordan Peefolk didn't get in. Was just going to, yeah. was just going to say that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Here's a guy that's, he's got the size, he's got the athleticism, he's got the finishing ability. He's very dangerous inside the box. And it seemed to me that in, in watching our matches, he's exactly the sort of player that we needed on the team. And, you know, for whatever reason, he wasn't selected. And so, but yeah, yeah, I think we, that we need, as we start to develop our our game, uh, our U.S. players at, uh, at the grassroots level, at the, at the young level, getting these guys that could finish in the box is, is really critical. Some of that's instinctive, but... You know, there's an awful lot of, of technical and, and tactical work that can be done to improve the level of the guys that are on those finishing chances. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess before we wrap up here, I just wanted to kind of bring this into the area of, I guess, your expertise and just in terms of getting youth over to, to Europe. Because like we've talked about in this episode and in our last podcast, this is the hotbed to develop the talent in the way that it needs to be to play at these big levels. So I guess if you are talking to the younger audience that may be listening to this, what would you say to them, I guess, in a, in a plea way, just to, if you're thinking, if this is your dream and you can get out to Europe, then do it. Well, my, as I said earlier on, there's no time to lose. And every day that you're not in a highly competitive, challenging environment, it's time lost and it's time you can't get back. And so I think that's the most important message for these guys. And they have to be willing to take risks because nobody gets anywhere without taking risks. And, and, and uh, there's going to be hard times. There's going to be struggle. And there isn't a single player on the planet at a high level that hasn't had to struggle. And so if you think that Messi or you think that uh, the, the Canes of the world or, or uh, Pogba or uh, you know any of the players that that our plan at the top level had an easy route. It's absolutely not true. You know, they all had to struggle. They all had questions about their confidence. They all had questions about, are they going to be able to make it? They all had questions about, you know, is this injury going to sideline me for a longer period of time? You know, getting, getting players to understand that leaving the nest, leaving their comfort zone is an absolutely essential part of developing to highest levels. And maybe being able to go in into an environment where they're not going to be the big star, where they're going to have to struggle a little bit. They're going to have to make mistakes. This is part of the formula. And uh, so, you know, our message from the talent project is that we want to give you something 
that you can't get, that can't be replicated yet in the United States. And I hope we get there at some point. But you know, we were created because FIFA said no more transfers under the age of 18. And that meant you could be the most talented kid in the world playing in Orlando, Florida, or Los Angeles, or Chicago, or wherever it is. You cannot get into that system, and therefore you're losing time. And so we created a talent project as a as a platform for being able to get the young players in at an age when they were otherwise restricted from these access to the European system and playing and that daily intensity. And uh, because of that, um, we are developing a lot of players. We've just signed seven players in this last year to professional clubs. And I think that probably, you know, that's that's certainly going to defy my wildest expectations. But it also goes to show that if you give Americans a chance, if you give them the right environment, they can do extraordinary things because they have the talent. We have the talent. Talent is no different for, you know, if you're in in the United States or if you're in London or if you're in, in Munich or Amsterdam or wherever it is, the talent level is the same. The question is the environment that they're learning from. And, and how are they being nurtured and how is that talent being developed and brought out to them so that they can make the most out of it? So um, that the message I have for the Americans is don't you can't afford to lose time because you can't get the time back. Well Very well said. And and with that, we'll we'll finish how we started. Predictions for next World Cup. Oh, the United States is gonna wipe the floor with everybody. <laughs> A little uh, higher average what? age. Yeah, wildest dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think but seriously. So, oh, I mean, it's hard, hard to yeah. say. I mean, who, who would have predicted that Morocco would be in, or I mean, Croatia, sure. Croatia, Croatia was fantastic, but you know, who would have predicted they'd do that at the second World Cup in a row, get all the way or United States has got a really good team coming forward. Mexico won't repeat the same mistakes. They're going to be formidable on pretty much on, on home territory. Even games in the United States is a, is a home game for Mexico. Um, you know, England's going to be strong. The, the, the Germany is not going to, Germany's going to go back and, and do what Germans do. They're going to do a very thorough analysis of, of uh, what's another, going on. Another reboot, huh? Another reboot. They're going to have to do another reboot. I think that, yeah, I agree. If you, if you look at their performance, <clears throat> they should not have gone. Even even the games they lost, they should have won. Yeah. You know, they had vast majorities of possession, vast yeah. uh, advantages and chances created, and mm -hmm. they just didn't make it happen. That happened to a few of the countries, so... Spain was in the same boat, completely dominant match and still lose. And so I think the big guys are always going to be there, but I think that Mexico and the United States are going to be uh, are going to be dark horses. I think I think we'll make a late run into uh, into that. And who gets to the final is anybody's guess. Exactly. Yeah, always, always. But yeah, it's just that point that it's a it's a long process, like you said, and building on each one. Next next World Cup will have a much more experience, much more, you know, we'll, we'll lose a few guys, like how important Tim Ream was, it seemed, in this cycle. But hopefully you tremendous. get a few new guys. He was tremendous. And it's crazy that first World Cup at 34, <laughs> 35, and just, yeah. But hopefully we can bring in those types of players and these players can develop in high clubs and play Champions League and play. seems like we're going to be in the Copa America, which I think is a, a big step for the U.S. national team, too, to play more 
very important knockout games consistently year in and year out and have that philosophy and have that idea for it. So, yeah, that's uh, American optimism. We're going to wipe the floor and win, of course. <laughs> Footwork is sponsored by ourselves and great companies such as Kong Fitness. But we love to partner with new brands to make their own paths, so get in touch if you must. Footwork.club, the official Footwork website is now live, so make sure you go join the club and check out all the new content and all the new features. Find us on YouTube at Footwork Podcast. You better like and subscribe while you're there. If not, I don't know what to tell you. Find us on Instagram at Footwork underscore podcast. Great time there and twitter at footwork podcast tiktok at footwork podcast where we like to post dance videos those are great but more importantly amazing content for any dream chasers out there plug plug pass tell your friends your enemies your mother your brother your sister your pastor it doesn't matter who tell the mailman your dog anybody that can listen like subscribe review because all of that helps while you're there we'll take whatever we can get to join the club join the club he messed me up I mean, he can just, he can just mash it together. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs>